Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast. I'm Rudo. She's Megan. We're talking free agency somehow still on August 17th because apparently NHL free agency just never ends now. Uh, we will get into the actual UFAs and, and things like that, but I wanted to start the show off with college free agency as August 15th was just a couple of days ago. There aren't a ton of big names to really talk about in, in college free agency this year. There's mostly Farinacci and Maestro Simone. Farinacci obviously already signed in Boston, so that situation's kind of settled. Uh, Maestro Simone, still an option. And then really the conversation, since this is an avalanche pod after all, is about Matt Steinberg. Uh, Megan, I know you've been following the Steinberg situation super closely. We talked about it a little bit after your, your meeting with Chris McFarland. It, where's it at? <laughs> it's really interesting because when I checked in on Tuesday, the deadline closed at three that afternoon and I talked to someone after three. So at that point he had entered free agency and sure. the feeling I got was still that there was an interest and a game plan moving forward for Steinberg to be in Colorado. Yeah. And so it it's not necessarily shocking that as of the 17th he has not been signed because he was a free agent as of that point and so that sort of opened up then a new window of time for him to operate from to hear other offers from other teams that I expect as is his right he is going to spend some time fielding offers but it's just curious that there was obvious interest on Colorado's side to have Steinberg in Colorado and so there is maybe some room for discussion as to what fell through then. What was the sticking point for Steinberg not being able to agree more readily to just sign on the dotted line? And what kind of offers could he possibly be fielding? And that is not to take a slight at Steinberg. It's just the reality of how his college career has unfolded. Yep. Some of it completely not of his own making. Totally. Losing a season to COVID and then missing almost half of his senior season after a terrific junior year just made it a very limited body of work for other NHL organizations to really look at. But I can't help but wonder if Malinsky drew a lot of attention from amateur scouting (laughs) because pulled those eyes a little bit of how impressive and highly sought after he was that people naturally were just watching Cornell then more closely. And As a result, where we're at with Steinberg is, I'm not exactly 
writing it off, that it is still a possibility that he ends up choosing Colorado, Colorado at the end of the day. But it could be like we talked yesterday about some of the things that might be holding him back from Colorado. And the overarching discussion is what is the path to the NHL like for players like Steinberg? And it's an incredibly difficult path for players like Samparanta, who honestly would follow a kind of similar path, right? Go the college route, then make the jump to the pro league, have decent numbers at the American League level, though with Samparanta injury also affected his trajectory. (laughs) It wasn't without opportunity, though, in in my opinion, that Samparanta did have opportunities to get in NHL games. But by the end of this year, Samparanta specifically was in an interesting spot because he had played those six games up with the Avalanche, and they were not very good games. The context of last season is important, but they also were just not really great showings for Ranta. Yep. He looked terrible defensively, yep. and he so he didn't get a call back up. And what ended up happening is the college free agent signings that joined the Eagles at the end of last year pushed him down even more. Pushed him, him down more because they were promised ice time. Yep. And so they were promised to get in games. And as a result, that meant some players had to sit, and Samparanta was one of them. And when you go from touted as a highly coveted prospect, getting in 10 NHL games out the gate in your pro season debut, to getting scratched to give these new college players a chance at the end of the regular season. Sure. It probably shaped Ranta's feelings about opportunity to the NHL through Colorado moving forward. And Steinberg's got a front row seat to that. And I have to imagine that played a role in how he felt about his opportunity here. It's, it's interesting with Steinberg and that opportunity. Uh, Look, every college UFA power to him, go out there, get whatever it is you can get. I'm all for more power to players being able to make those decisions themselves. Totally. But I do wonder, look, it's August 17th already. Usually the higher touted prospects have offers on the table at 3.01 p.m. on August 15th. Exactly. And they're signing Farinacci's on a team already. Right. Does Steinberg really, is Steinberg really sitting back and assessing options? How many teams are even ringing his phone up right now that aren't Colorado and can't make a really different offer from Colorado because as far as any sort of guarantee to get in NHL games just not realistic I don't think it's not realistic just based on the showing in college being so limited and then even the brief American League games that he got in they were by no stretch bad they just didn't jump off the page at you quite as seamlessly as the transition for a Malinsky type did even someone like a Jason Poland jumps off the page a little bit more immediately and they're different players they have different tools and what Steinberg brings to the table it's maybe another part worth talking about are valuable things to the avalanche and that's not without mentioning that he has the gritty physicality that Players either have or they don't. It's a choice and they opt in or out, but it's really hard to just have that become a part of your game if it isn't already, and it is. To hear him described by his college coach as abrasive and combative in the best possible way is a quality that I know the Avalanche would appreciate. PK specialist can play down the middle, though in college he was utilized more so as a wing, and so I want to tamper expectation that 
the Avs missed out on center depth in Steinberg. Yeah, not really. He was going to play wing yeah. in the immediate future, and that is probably the path he would have taken moving forward, yep. like a John Luke Foodie. So I don't want people to feel as though they totally dropped the ball on siding this penalty <laughs> K specialist centerman. Yeah. But they're, they are missing out, though, on qualities that they would have appreciated all the same. In this era, the Avs have been on the both sides of this coin. Will Butcher, obviously, the big college free agent that they didn't sign. I'll never forget. <laughs> uh, but on the other side, you know, you can go all the way back to Alex Kerfoot. Uh, beyond, obviously, Ben Myers in more recent years, the cavalcade of guys they have coming onto the Eagles for this year and Malinsky, Poland, uh, Pavel. So they're pretty used to this situation. They, they've been around the block with these things. Do you think that gives them an advantage when it comes to working with someone like Steinberg or is it a detriment, as you mentioned, because of all the other guys that are filling roles? I think the other guys that are filling Rose roles pose a, a little bit of a problem because okay. they're sort of being treated as a prospect all the same at this point moving yeah. forward. And so it's a matter of who shows the best and some of the players that they signed showed well in college too. Yep. And so they might not have had the draft pedigree coming into this, but it's going to matter what they show at the American League level. And that is kind of a blank slate then for his competition for ice time. And he's also going up against players like Oscar Lawson and Foodie who are presently there. Yep. Ben Myers, if he is kind of a fringe, is a cautionary tale to Steinberg that we saw Ben Myers have an amazing college career, and he is fighting for a full-time NHL job. So it's just a really, like, this is the cost of a Stanley Cup caliber team. It comes at the expense of prospects down the line to some degree because mm -hmm. those were at one point trade assets. Yep. <laughs> and then it also comes at the expense of the young players getting opportunity because there are ready-made NHL players already on Colorado's roster. Are, is it hard with expectations from Steinberg? You mentioned John Luke Foody, also a third-round pick. That's a guy who's been in the AHL for a few years now. He's younger than Steinberg. He's already shown pretty capable at the pro level. Is that kind of setting up someone like Steinberg for failure? I know, look, I, certainly I thought he was overdrafted in the third round when it happened, but we regularly see people do comparative analysis based on round picked or even number of pick that you're in. Do you think the Avs do a good job of we wading through that noise and getting down to the depth of it? Or are they kind of stuck in that comparativeness too? Is it like, are they good at drafting in the later rounds and extracting well, value from there? I think there? we know they're bad at drafting okay, in I the later rounds. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not walking into a landmine in how I answer this no, question. I'm, I'm just saying, do you think the Avs get caught up in comparing third round picks like a foodie compared to a Steinberg, even though they're obviously very different players that right. do very different things. Is there a little bit of failure there or uh, failure is not the right word, but are they talking themselves into and out of stuff because of unfair comparisons? I think it's, it's our side of things, the fan base, the analysts who really look at draft status and sure. make an assessment of expectation from there because each draft year is so different and the quality of players in the later rounds can really vary. And 
what they scouted in players like Afudi, who might have been one of the best skaters in his draft year, who still falls to the third round, is just kind of a matter of circumstance at that point that I feel different players can exceed their expectation from their draft status at any given point, you know, like that's still in the hands of a Steinberg or a foodie to do as much. And at this stage of things, you know, as soon as they make it to that pro level, it is in their hands to exceed that expectation. And that's why I think too, from our side of things, it can feel a little tough that some of the first round players that have come through Colorado recently have not panned out because of the first round status. But I think that's just the nature of, scouting prospects there's some fortune telling that (laughs) happens there and it's difficult to do and every organization has some players that exceed expectation and players that do not meet it fall below it and they have to cut their losses and move on i have a theory and this is not really based on anything but anecdotal evidence do ivy league school players go to college free agency a lot more often because it feels like they do. Obviously, guys like Kerfoot and Kevin Hayes. Now, I, do you consider Cornell an Ivy League school? I don't know. <laughs> I think so, too, and I don't want to make Ivy League people mad. <laughs> it's really interesting, though, because I think you're right. And my immediate guess is something relating to do with the visibility of those programs. Um and the player's ability to get into those programs, maybe just making the pool of NHL caliber players to come out of them a bit smaller in sure. the scope of things. But that's my only guess, because I think you're right. I do think that they evade the draft for different reasons. And yep. it could be just the nature of the college pathway being one that can take a little bit longer for players, generally speaking. So they might not have shown great in their draft year. Yeah. But through their college years, they show a lot better. For sure. It's... I just found it interesting and like certainly, you know, I totally understand that going to a, a Harvard or Yale, well, you probably want to go there to get a degree from there. So staying all four years certainly makes sense. Absolutely. You don't want to dip out. <laughs> it's uh well, I, they're probably all on scholarships, but <laughs> that's true. Expensive school that's true. otherwise. Um yeah, I I just find the the college UFA process so interesting. Because this is not an unusual thing. It's pretty common practice. You know, not a ton of them do it, but for college UFAs to go through and say, yeah, I'm not going to sign. Whereas if you have a uh, Canadian junior kid, almost never do they say, no, I'm not going to sign. And in their case, assuming they were drafted at 18, they would go back into the draft and be picked again. Uh, it, it, why are those different? I <laughs> Every college player I've talked to when I've asked it, why did you opt for this route instead of major junior has been pretty honest about where they were at in their hockey, in their development. And they recognized they needed a little bit more time to physically mature. And so I think that they are just trying to set their best foot forward. And they also recognize the ability to get invites to dev camps from NHL teams. Like Malinsky attended, I want to say New York's dev camp prior to this, you know, they're, they're taking in those opportunities and getting a feel for different organizations. It's like, nope, I won't make the comparison, but in Greek life, you can rush for a sorority, (laughs) 
at the start of the year in that standard rush procedure that you see all over the internet <laughs> that looks a little scary. But there are ways around it. You can rush at a later date, like late in the spring for one specific sorority after you've had a chance to be on campus and meet some of the other groups and meet people inside of them. And that's maybe some of the benefit of that route with college is getting to make connections, play some better hockey, and get a better feel then for what might be compatible for you as a player. It's, I, I do think it is interesting that players do have to make that decision a little bit. And, and we don't have to get into the conversation about the NCAA and how they limit things because of amateur status or whatever. But I, I do think that having that hard split as a prospect and obviously like European prospects do other things as well. Do you think there's a best development path? Do you think one is better than the other? Generally, I understand, you know, as you mentioned, prospects have different past guys who think they need more time can go this way or another. Do you think one of them develops players better in general? I think it's the type of player they each can develop. Like, I think the college route favors the depth type of player. Sure. I think a lot of the college free agent types that we see come through that route satisfy a depth role a lot of the time whereas if you have the high skill upside at a young age I think that major junior is a route to go because you get to get the reps in with a more consistent frequent schedule um, that is better priming you for the pros because you're likely making that leap sooner and I think there are challenges there too though to have the high skill upside and go the major junior route you really have to show well if you want to make an NHL role for yourself so I think positionally, they both can really cater to different types of players better than the other. And I think that's the distinction I would make. Like I think of Foodie, I think he had the flash at such a young age, and I don't see him benefiting from the college route. Yeah. And obviously Foodie's route ended up being super weird because of COVID. But Yeah, he was he was making a pro leap so young. Yeah. So his one stands out even more in that case. Look, if you're going the college free agency route. I, I don't know how to get to anyway. Do you? Because snarfs. Do you snarfs? <laughs> That's where that was going. Uh, snarfs has amazing quality ingredients. Uh, Jimmy Seidel, snarf himself, uh, personally chooses each item that they put out on their products. It's fantastic sandwiches. Megan eat, used to eat them all the time. I guess you probably don't eat them as I often anymore. Them pretty but often, there you go. but not as often. Hard to do it when you're not on DU campus and they're right there waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, you can walk right over. <laughs> uh, they have a bunch of amazing meals. You saw me eat the uh, the hot dog bacon sandwich the other week, which was delicious. Uh, you got to get in. They've been serving their hot toasted sandwiches since 1996 here in Colorado. Uh, the first location, of course. Uh, in Boulder, so they are around. They have multiple different places that you can go get your amazing snarf sandwiches. Uh, and they also have a burger place now. Uh, yeah, apparently they have. Apparently, the burger place is in Denver and Boulder, so they got multiple spots. You like their sandwiches? I'm sure you'll love their burgers. Get in and try it. For August, they have the Cubano. It's served every summer through Labor Day. Get it while you can. Uh, made with slow roasted pork, ham, melted provolone, spicy mustard, and crunchy pickles. You got to get in on snarfs. They're just, they're too good to not be eaten. Um, you get $5 off your order uh, when you join Snarfs Rewards for the first time. And if you join, you get member 
bonus points, birthday gifts, referral things, all sorts of good stuff with Snarfs. So be sure to get in on that. If you want to try them, if you're not sure about them, we will have them at the Broncos tailgates. So you can go down to the Broncos tailgate, get yourself some Snarfs. And when you eat one, you will want more. I promise. So, yeah, go check out Snarfs. Uh, once you've done that, you're also going to want to check out the American Raptors and get in on some Rugby Town 7s. They have a big tournament coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend. The 25th through the 27th, they're having 20 teams from all over the world competing for a $10,000 grand prize. They'll also have the U.S. Armed Forces Championship going on. Uh, the whole tournament consists of over 62 different matches over the course of three days. And tickets are just 10 bucks a day, or you can get the whole weekend pass for 20 bucks kids get in for under uh, rather kids under 12 get in for free uh so why not make a day of it with your whole family it's a great place to go if you haven't ever been to infinity park it's an awesome place just to hang out and chill the stadium's dope they have an arcade they have all sorts of other stuff you can get food all that good stuff if you're into rugby, you got to check out the DNVR Rugby podcast. You can follow DNVR Rugby on Twitter. Our guy Colton Strickler does an amazing job interviewing literally everyone in the sport. He also has 101 pods. If you're new and you want to learn the sport and get into it a little bit more, go check it out today. Uh, we're even going to have watch parties for American Raptors matches this year down at the bar. So we can all enjoy it together. Uh Check it out. Go get the Rugby 7s tickets for just $10 at AmericanRaptors.com. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Any specifics you want to add to the, the college free agents, or should we move on to the, the real free agents? We can move on to the, the grown-up free All agents. Right. Uh, honestly, our, our timing is kind of good here. Is 25 minutes ago. Huge. Jonathan Taves is like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to play this year. Um, it, an interesting spot based on Jay, our, um, our CHGO Blackhawks podcast host, reporting on it, saying sounds like Taves is not going to play this year, but it wants to try and come back for the 24-25 season. It, it was a weird situation to begin with. Obviously, people didn't know if he was just going to retire entirely. I feel bad for Taves, to be honest, given the way things have gone for, for his career post-COVID. Is it realistic for him? Can he actually make the comeback after taking a year off? I think it's a hard conversation for hockey players to have that he might be able to return to play hockey, but it won't be to the degree that he's comfortable with. And I think that's really hard for a hockey player to play hockey, but not to a standard that they've known for themselves for so long. And that's what I think plagues Taves at the end of this year is when he does return to the ice, which I'm sure he'll do at points throughout this year. Yeah. But a year from now, will he feel where he feels like he needs to be at to return to play is maybe the better question. I think it's very possible that he could get cleared to play, but what that means for Jonathan Taves could look different for a lot yeah. of people. Obviously different circumstances that led to it, but something the Avs are familiar with, with Landeskog. Absolutely. It, <laughs> we have hope that he's about to miss an entire second year and will come back now. You know, Landeskog directly having surgeries to, to help fix some of these problems compared to a more mercurial issue with, with Taves and, long COVID and things like that. But it 
it takes one of the more interesting names off the board this year, certainly. And, you know, we'll see going forward, which leaves us with a free agency class that, look, you still have the injured guys, Patrick Kane, Jesse Puyarvi, Ethan Baird are still out there. If teams want to take a chance on guys that will be ready at, in December at the earliest, it's hard for me to see teams wanting to do that because 14 of the 32 teams in the NHL have less than a million dollars in cap space. A handful of those have negative cap space and have to actually move some money out or send a guy to the AHL or whatever. Is there room in the NHL to see more big contracts? We've seen some come pretty late. The Zucker deal, Matt Dumba, both in Arizona, Zucker getting over five mil, Dumba getting just shy of four mil. Those are pretty big contracts for August. Will someone pony up and give the big bucks for an injured Patrick Kane? I'm just looking at two teams that I think might be in the running for it a little bit. One of which is Detroit um, because of how silly they've been. They've been pretty silly. That's a good way to put it. Uh. And so that would be where my money is at. But it comes down to the necessity for Kane, though I don't know, that hasn't really stopped them through this point as far as addressing what the most vital needs are. But it's true. <laughs> I think that they're just wily enough to do it. Um, and I do think a team, a team is going to do it. Yeah, I think so. For what too. it's worth. Yeah. I, what does that number end up looking like? I don't know. But that's what's interesting with Kane. We obviously saw him exercise his right to really be careful about where he ends up. So I wonder if that limitation is still in effect, even if we're looking at a one-year contract, he might be really selective about where he's even willing to go. And so that would be maybe a hurdle with Kane specifically and the team that he ends up with, because it might then require him to be flexible in the type of money he's looking for if he is going to be really selective about his destination. I, it it's it's tough for me because I don't know what Kane wants. So obviously, he made it clear he wanted to go to New York. Is that because it's New York, or is that because he thought he had a chance to win there? He's won plenty of cups in his career. Obviously, the three with Chicago. Is he looking to win? Is he looking for a fun city to live in? Is he looking for... Uh, less taxes? Does he want to go to Florida or something? Like, I I just genuinely don't know what he's going to be selective about. So I do wonder about that. And, uh, you know, obviously both the injury and the lack of money out in the league are going to limit his options. Even if he wants to be selective, there could well be teams that say, can't do it, bud. With the position Buffalo is in, in being a team that's actually pretty competitive and expected to become more so in this next season. Which, he's from the area. He's from (laughs) Buffalo, but I think that hasn't mattered in the past. But could the state of Buffalo actually not being in such a bad spot change things? As long as you don't ask the taxi drivers. I think it'll be <laughs> they're gonna yeah, they're gonna need to have some transportation worked out in his contract. <laughs> um yeah, I really 
I will put it this way. I find it hard to see how he ends up on a team that thinks they're a contender right now just because he doesn't fit. It, this isn't a, hey, we can trade someone back to get Patrick Kane from you. This is, oh, we have to dump salary to make room for Patrick Kane for a lot of these teams. And not that Patrick Kane is a bad hockey player. Obviously, he's incredible. But I do wonder if the injury situation does leave a lot of questions for teams. As someone who had started to decline already in Kane's game over the last couple of years, again, still very good, but not the all-time elite player that he was. No, it's a good point that I know his name is one that has been linked to Colorado before. Mm -hmm. And just looking at what other options are out there, it's not that he is a bad option by any stretch of the imagination. It's just there has been a little bit of a decline that I think is worth accounting for. I think his history as such an elite player definitely elevates maybe some of what his more recent play has actually been. It still hasn't been bad. It's highly productive, but it can also be a liability defensively at times. Not that they would look yeah. to him to provide that specifically, but I don't know. What do you think about his fit in Colorado? I think it makes sense if you get to November, you've had a month of the Jonathan Druin experiment and it's not working. Spots kind of makes a ton of sense to drop Patrick Kane into instead of Jonathan Druin if it doesn't work. Obviously, Patrick Kane, also a very capable distributor off the wall in the NHL. And in November, you're going to have a lot better idea of, okay, this is where his injury situation is at. This is the timeline we're looking at, things like that. Now, you know, Kane would have to make it to that point and still be available on the market because I really think you end up with a forward core that's too crowded. If you just do it immediately, what do you end up doing juggling Kane and Druin when you're obviously not doing any? You're keeping Nachushkin and Lekkinen in your top six. You're obviously keeping Rantanen in your top six. So there's really only one bona fide wing spot there in your top six that is up for grabs, which is Druin's to have for the moment. Are you willing to demote Druin to the third line in that scenario? Uh, yeah. Again, this is why I want to wait till November, because I will see if Druin is living up to the top right. six spot for or not. A two five k If he is... There's there's no need. Yeah, and and if Patrick Kane says, "Hey, I'll sign for eight hundred and twenty-five k tomorrow," then yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> an, yeah, that's a. I suspect he will get a few more dollars than that on whatever contract. Oh he yeah, ends I up think signing. someone will be willing to pay him, and that's why I'm just not entertaining him as a possibility to Colorado for now. Yep. I I can't ignore that he's been linked to Colorado enough times that I'll never fully write it off, but. And this is, uh, Colorado has $2 million in space to do whatever they're going to do. We kind of expect one more move of some kind to come, either PTO or whatever. So realistically, probably working with one mil-ish in that area, which kind of brings me to our, our next set of forwards. I'm going to ignore Tatar for a minute. We'll get back to him because he's kind of the big name left out there that's healthy. But you look at Jesse Puglia-Yarvi as the injured guy. Is there reason to be interested in him 
when you still have a Danton Heinen out there, when you still have a Zach Aston Reese out there, when you still have a Nick Ritchie out there, is there a reason to wait for Puyo Yarby? Or if you want to fill that role, should you be looking at some of those other depth guys? I realized in looking back on Heinen that I've been a little hard on him and saying <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if I want to so immediately jump to Heinen. In looking at him today, he actually does make a lot of sense. I think the concern is the drop in production last year. It He had, compared to the year before, such a spike in production that it's a sharp decline that I don't think is indicative of what's to come next year. It's just something to keep in mind as a possibility that if you're looking to Heinen to provide playmaking, goal scoring, that might be where it's a little bit tough for him. Big but ass, he is... Yeah such a utility player with PK specialty in the bag. Like I know this maybe isn't more recently how he's been utilized in Pittsburgh. Though it, yeah. it, it is something that he's done a little bit there more so in Anaheim. Um, and that is a quality that I think the bottom of the lineup, if they are looking to add players needs to have, if it's not prolific goal scoring, which I'm not getting too high on. <laughs> I don't know that that's very realistic. It, they have to be a PK specialist at yeah. this point in time in my eyes. And that is something that Heinen brings to the table, bringing this all back, that I think would be for a low value. Like, Pugliarvi, not sure what kind of money he's looking at. I don't think it's, it's exceedingly high, but it still might come in higher. And that is a player that is at best available by December with double hip surgery. Yep. I don't want to get too optimistic. It could be even later than that. Danson yeah. Heinen has both hips. <laughs> so Big check mark on the Dandenheim. Has book. hips. Two hips. <laughs> is, it, is, it a, is it a pair of hips? Is it two hips? I don't know how is that Is it a singular but plural hips? I don't know. <laughs> These are the questions I need to ask hockey doctors, okay? <laughs> but look, it's a fair point. In anytime you're talking about a hip injury in the NHL, you're rolling the dice on what their skating looks like when they come back. It's it's just a reality of the situation. And, you know, it'll. I'm sure he'll come back and be a capable NHL player, but especially when you look at the way the Avs play with skating, you start to wonder. Well, here's where I'm at with Pliarvi. I think he has still has fantastic upside, but where the question marks are for him are with the finishing and playmaking ability. And yep. those are things that the Avs... Definitely do need. They've asked a enough of those questions. <laughs> right. They've asked <laughs> enough of those questions and they they now need answers. And the thing about Pulley is I think mm -hmm. he is a player who in a more limited role is stunted. And I think I that agree. has been why he has struggled in Edmonton previously. However, the way Bednar utilizes <laughs> players, you earn the trust by becoming efficient at what you're asked to do in the limited role or otherwise. And so that is just not something that I think will be readily handed to Pugliarvi. And I think he will continue to be a bit stunted then. And it will be hard for him to overcome because I think he'll be struggling with similar things he was dealing with in Edmonton. And I don't necessarily wish that upon him. It just doesn't sound super compatible. But I agree. Even getting down on, going back to Heinen for a second, sure. getting down on his production a little bit and looking at some of the other names on this list, he finished the year 22 points. It's actually not so different from the Nick Richies of the world. 
in my eyes, he had fallen off a cliff production wise <laughs> and he really hadn't. I was just being very hard on him in that evaluation. So I still think Heinen does have offense that he can bring to the table. And I don't want to disclude that from what he could offer Colorado. It, it gets into an interesting spot because you do want the offense. Obviously, if you can get it, you'll take it. But how much are you expecting Ross Colton to produce on a third line role? If Colton's given you 45 points, a guy that gives you 25 to 20 points there, maybe not that big of a deal because Colton's carrying some of that load. I, I, I would shy away from some of these other options at the bottom, like a Max Comtois, someone that you're swinging on a little bit of, you hope they have more upside. I just feel like the abs have done enough of that this off season. I don't know that you can really continue adding serious question marks to the lineup. This is why I'm such a fan of Danton Heinen as an option, because you know what he's going to bring you. And if that goal scoring does show up, great, awesome. It's a bonus, but it's not necessary for him to play a functional role in Colorado. Uh, it's the other side of this on the defensive side. It's really tough for me outside of Ethan Bear. If you want to take that chance on the injured guy, there is a whole lot less interesting to look at on the defensive side of this free agent market. I fully agree. I don't really have any defensemen on my list, though I was pinged before the show with some European options that I hadn't considered. So I won't pretend to entertain European options because I hadn't looked into it. But that's where I do wonder if the apps will be looking for players who've played over North America, yeah. went overseas for the last year, but have a pretty decent body of work to go off of. So that's intriguing. I'll keep that in mind. But you're right defensively, but beyond Ethan Bear. Not not a lot. <laughs> super confident. Yep. This is really Sam Malinsky music to it like really, have opportunity really then is. to seize. But I agree with some of the players you would pass on Maxine Comtois production worse than Danton Heinen. There's just no reason to then even entertain it. Yep. Yeah. It, now I will say production worse than Danton Heinen, Zach Aston Reese. <laughs> this but, is the one you're entertaining. <laughs> but I'll entertain it because of what he brings, the PK specialty. Yep. Yep. And I watched his numbers grow in Toronto with the right type of line mates mm -hmm. that just sort of force you into <laughs> offense. You have to play off. And I could see that coming in Colorado, though. If we're looking at a third line role specifically, which is kind of the one to yeah. be filled. Yep. That's where it gets a little challenging for me because that is what I think Colton and would need is someone who just is offensively gifted. Sure. And but also reliable defensively and now i'm just asking for a perfect hockey player who might not exist just give him val nichushkin just, yeah, can we just clone val nichushkin <laughs> throw a 65 point player on your third line it'll be great <laughs> yeah it and it, look that's the reality of depth is trying to find at times it's not necessarily trying to find the best player it's trying to find the right piece that fits in your lineup the most effectively and if you know that, you should go work for the Avs and tell them who it is because they will pay you a lot of money if you're right. Uh, on that note, if you can see into the future, make sure you're wearing your shady rays when you do it because they will help block out all that bright sun 
Uh, amazing sunglasses. You can go to ShadyRays.com to order today. When you use code DNVR and you get two pairs or more, you get 50% off your entire order. They've been rated over 200, rated five stars by over 250,000 people. So people really do like them. Tons of different styles. They have something that'll make you look good. Even if you've got an ugly face like mine, they they make it look better. So get your Shady Rays today. Again, ShadyRays.com. Or you can go to the brick and mortar store in the Park Meadows Mall if you're local here in Colorado. And use their 30-day uh, guarantee. If you don't like your sunglasses, you break them or you lose them, they'll replace them in the first 30 days at zero cost to you. So, yeah, I literally no downsides. I don't know what to tell you. Get your shady rays. Uh, and then, I, I don't know how to do this one. If you have no hips, le- if you have less than two <laughs> hips, if your hips have been damaged and it's not your fault, call Bacchus and Shanker at 222-2222 today. Uh, if you're not Shakira, if your hips are lying, uh, maybe Bacchus and Shanker can help you out. If your hips are lying and you need representation. (laughs) Uh, Again, the two number or coloradolaw.net. I know we joke, but if you have been injured, if it's a car accident situation or something at work or or something that happened that you're not at fault at, Bacchus and Shanker has your back. You can call them or go to their website and you get a free consultation, no cost to you. They think you have a case. They will take your case on at no cost to you. You pay nothing until you win your case, which if they take your case on, you will win your case. They've won over a billion dollars for their clients over 25 years. They're very, very, very good at what they do. So go check them out. Again, coloradolaw.net or the two number to get a free consultation today. Get what you deserve with Bacchus and Shanker. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast the last the the last guy that I'm surprised is still out of the market, as I kind of alluded to earlier, Thomas Tatar. And you could make an argument for Phil, Phil Kessel, but I think he's a little bit more of a weird fit for a lot of teams. Tatar still a pretty darn productive winger. Thirty two is not young, but it's by no means old. Don't think it's really realistic for the Abs to be in that conversation. Boy, would I like <laughs> them Me to too. Me too. You want a guy who can provide offense on the third line? Want some security for if Jonathan Druin doesn't pan out? Yeah. Oh, 5v5 scoring was a problem last year. <laughs> it won't be. Yeah, we can fix that. Yeah. <laughs> is there a reason for Tatar being the last guy out here? Or is it just he hasn't picked the guy, the team he likes yet? Uh, I... Yeah, I think it's some of that and some of the other pieces that have been snatched off the board when they were. I do wonder if it's Evan Rodriguez territory where looking for something kind of specific, options just started to grow thinner and thinner by the minute. And I still think he (sighs) can fetch enough value that it's not going to be in desperation territory that the abs can benefit from though I'm wishing it and willing it into existence. (laughs) I'm still confident that this is a player that should get an interested team willing to pay up. However, don't know where Tatar wants to go and what his aim is for the, at least the next year. And because of those reasons with the cap going up, maybe he is eyeing a, very friendly one-year contract that could fall into a range that the Avs would afford, but it still feels like a pipe dream. 
they're all pipe dreams until they're not, right? That's right. <laughs> it comes to September 7th and he's still not signed. We have to. I just want to say, if Chris McFarland found a way to get <laughs> Thomas Tatar to agree to really low little money. One year, two million. Give him the E-Rod deal you right have, now. You have to say very nice things about him on the internet. <laughs> no. I see I see what you guys say about him. No, you don't understand. It was Joe Sackick that made that deal, not Chris McFarland. Yes, so <laughs> Joe Sackick did it. <laughs> In spite of Chris McFarland trying to stop him from doing it. <laughs> He's actually the bad guy. <laughs> no, no. I, I Look, I think already this offseason, Chris McFarland deserves credit. If he pulls that off, you go from, yeah, the Avs had a pretty good offseason to, did the Avs have one of the best offseasons in the NHL? <laughs> you, yeah, this true man contract specifically could age not like it really has only upside, right? Yep. I don't think it ages that badly if it doesn't pan out, but it could age so well if it does. Yep. It's such an intelligent play from them. Yeah, Tatar is interesting. He has kind of become a little bit of a journeyman over the last half decade. Obviously started his career in Detroit, went to Vegas for a brief stint, Montreal for a little while, and then New Jersey the last couple of years. It's a weird type of player because his scoring over the last handful of years has been a little all over the place. He's had 25 goal seasons. He's had 10 goal seasons. You, I can understand not being 100% confident what you're going to get out of the guy, depending on what role you end up throwing him in. And he's probably not going to bring you a PK specialist style. If you're looking at him on that third line, but it's also hard to turn down a guy who had 48 points last year has 60-point seasons in his history. And that's also why the Avs aren't going to get him because someone's going to pay him $4 million. <laughs> but Well, yeah, because, I mean, even his contract before, there was some question, is he worth even more than that? I think yep. it's 4.5 mil. Yep. And that's what makes it hard to imagine the Avs getting that number down low enough yeah. to be in the 1 mil range. <laughs> perhaps two yeah -ish. it has to probably come in just under two i mean you could probably make it work at two if you're doing some shenanigans like moving people up and down papering people things like that but interesting yeah that's where the eligibility of a lot of the young <laughs> college guys would probably be, be beneficial yep. yeah Someone like a Matt Steinberg. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It, it is an interesting, uh, an interesting point that you bring up there. The Avs very, very regularly over the last couple of years, especially when you start getting into January, February, March, you see every day you look at the transaction list and it's like, yep, this, these guys have been oh up gosh. and down six times in the past <laughs> week. Yeah. And you know, the, the actual players are just, wherever they are they, oh yeah they're not getting on planes or anything but they're they squeeze every dollar out of the cap that they can with these moves i do wonder if all this talk about getting a free agent what if what if they don't what if their plan is to just wait it out to the deadline and solve it then <laughs> that's a i don't like that face is what that was <laughs> uh. It's tough because of the Kovalenko conversation. Like yeah. they're already receiving something of hopefully reinforcement there around that same time. And 
faith in the roster as it's currently constructed. I don't want to be too down on it, but their playoff team is currently constructed. Right? I for don't sure. want to get too comfortable with that because Florida got too comfortable in their regular season and they made the playoffs. Barely it's, did. It counts. That's <laughs> the type of scenario I don't want the Abs to for enter. Sure. And for sure. I don't really believe that they're there that they would be scraping for a playoff spot but i do want them to set themselves up with the greatest advantage for home ice going into the playoffs and that's where the waiting conversation for a deadline for the march deadline is a little hard for me to endorse when they they can invite guys on a pto and even have a more temporary solution yeah, through that for sure that i think they fill it that way Okay. And then perhaps take the bigger swing at the deadline, but I still think that they find somebody. So, uh, much more focusing on the Zach Aston Reese style of absolutely. Player. They have no reason not to take a chance on a player like that with a PTO. I count. I'm expecting them to. I'll be very concerned if they don't. Yeah, and and they very. I think it's five or six years in a row they've had at least one PTO. Yeah. So it is something they do regularly. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it really fits to this conversation. Do you still want to talk about the the fighting in the queue? Or? It feels really weirdly <laughs> yeah. placed. Though, you know what it made me think of earlier is the college route. Mm -hmm. I saw somebody suggest that this decision might cause more players to go to the NCAA where there is also no fighting. And I thought it was really interesting. And I just wondered if you felt that it could have that kind of impact. No. <laughs> I don't either. I, what I do wonder, though, is since it's going to take effect immediately next season, are there any issues with players that are in the queue next year somehow immediately pulling out to try and go to a different league? Uh, as far as like gen genuine NHL prospects, I don't think so. If you're talking about guys that are, you know, playing out where the queue is probably the last league they'll competitive league they'll really play in besides competitive beer league or whatever. Maybe uh, there's a couple guys that want to go try something else, but it, especially because it's the queue. I, there's a lot of players in that league that are French speaking that don't want to go anywhere else. Right. So I don't see a significant shift based on this. I think the one thing that stood out to me about this is though it does seem like a jarring decision, it is one that they've been building towards that. I think players perhaps it won't come as such a shock. Just seeing yeah. the way that fighting was penalized more they had already in games. had pretty aggressive suspension terms if you fought too much and things like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And and just even in game, the dis like it would be, I wanna say, ten minute misconduct on top of the five men major. Mm -hmm. And so it was already a pretty steep penalty and the fighting almost was halved in that yeah. time since it was implemented that I don't know if it has a huge impact on players and how they feel about the queue because it was already trending in that direction. So it shouldn't yep. come as a complete surprise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an overarching conversation that is a hard one to have for, for major juniors, especially because you have to remember there are 16 year old kids in this league. Absolutely. Like, this is not grown men fighting. This is kids. And obviously you know this podcast has never been a huge 
pro fighting podcast by any stretch, but I also don't want them to remove it from the NHL. I think there's a time and place for it. It's just in a fairly limited role. And I honestly don't know where the balance is. I don't know where you strike the balance of having a level of fighting at junior levels because the kids have to learn how to defend themselves if they do end up in that situation and wanting to protect those kids to a certain level. Now, the 16-year-olds do wear cages and and things like that, so they're not getting punched directly in the face usually, but it's just a fine line to walk, and I don't have a good answer for you, to be honest. With it affecting junior age players specifically, I look to college hockey as a really interesting example that there are plenty of players from the NCAA who go on to play in the NHL, and I haven't seen this crop up as an issue. Like, they didn't learn to fight, and now this is a problem. Yeah. You see players like Curtis McDermott willing to take players under his wing on those optional practice days and walk through with players how to defend themselves. And so I don't know that that still wouldn't be an option, even if it wasn't in junior hockey. It's fair, yeah. Because I, I, I don't think it has come to the detriment of the college players who also didn't fight. Yeah. And so... That's why I'm not personally super up in arms over it affecting that age group specifically for the reasons you mentioned. It just further protects them and it's already in place for the college players and hasn't been an issue. It's still a really physical game, but I'm obviously biased. I like college hockey and the pace <laughs> of it, but. Yeah, I mean. It's it's just especially the way the game has gone where it's more skill, more skill, more skill all the time. Even even some of the fights you have in the NHL are, are silly, reactionary. Did Bo look like he had learned to fight yeah. in juniors? <laughs> because I personally didn't think so, and I don't want Bo to fight. That also should be worth mentioning. Yeah. He is a, the last person I want fighting. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just tough because... I, I do feel like the NHL is in a little bit of this culture shift where you see a big hit happen and, and a team feels like they have to defend their player. And then all too often you see that and it's like, oh, well, that hit was actually a clean hit and there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, okay, I guess. I, there was something in the the Vegas, Florida series. I'm not remembering fully, but... There was something reactionary there was on Matt ice. Kachuk in the <laughs> yeah, it was super reactionary on ice, yeah. and it was like, actually, that was fine. Yeah, but I get it. At that level on ice, it looked probably different and bad. It is what it is. I if the NHL was all fighting or no fighting, I would still watch <laughs> at the end of the day. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a quality of the game that I appreciate that's unique to hockey. So I'm also not advocating to strip it from the game entirely, but I don't think it's affected the quality of college hockey and probably won't affect the quality of junior hockey. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a, a special kind of player to be able to make the jump to the NHL. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, regardless there's, there's of, bigger hurdles yeah. that you need to be worried <laughs> about. Definitely. Uh, all right. On that note, we uh, are brought to you by FOCO. If you want to go get your bobbleheads, you can punch the bobbleheads instead of punch real people, and the heads will go blah, just like that. Uh, 
Foco has tons of amazing bobbleheads for pretty much every major sports team in the country. Obviously, you can get the Nuggets championship ones here in Colorado. Use code DNVR when you purchase at Foco.com to get 10% off your order and free shipping. Uh, yeah, you go over there, get what you want. It's not just bobbleheads. They've got licensed apparel and merchandise and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, they make pretty cool pins. I don't know if they have any pins on the site. They come and go on the website some, but like you can get like lapel pins and stuff like that when they're on there. So keep your eyes on it. Check it regularly for the cool stuff that comes into stock because they go pretty quickly. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. Sometimes I have good transitions occasionally. Sometimes they're not just nonsense, but, you know, it happens. Also. If you've been run over by a middle six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't so, get run over by a middle six when you come to the bar tomorrow night at 6 p.m. to watch our live show. Megan and I will be going live uh, in the bar so you can listen in to the show while you're here. And I'll be hanging out afterward, shooting the, shooting the stuff with people. Talking hockey, doing whatever, having some beers, having a good time. So come down. Enjoy it with us. Uh, we are probably talking best memories of, of Avalanche hockey in general, and we'll get into some of the best moments of the Nathan McKinnon era of the Avs so far. Uh, and I have a trivia question that in my back pocket that if anyone gets it right, I will buy you a beer on Friday. It's a very difficult question. Okay, so. good. <laughs> I don't expect many people to get it right. We'll put it that don't way. Don't share the Yeah, if you come tomorrow and you start sharing the answer and you make Rudo buy everyone beer, <laughs> I'm just giving you the idea. <laughs> everyone working against me out here. No. Uh, but yeah, come down. It should be a fun time here at the bar. Uh, we hope you will. That's all I got for today, Megan. Anything you wanted to add? No. All right. All right, that was a questionable no. That was that sounded like well, that, a maybe. I don't know. There's always a lot going on up uh, here. As soon as we shouldn't turn the podcast off, it'll be like, oh. We sh <laughs> yeah, we just got to end it. All right, we're out of here. We appreciate y'all. We will talk to you again tomorrow.